Okay. That's good. That's the, the joy dance in the grass is, uh, it gives you a little glimpse of how life is meant to be. Dancing around in the grass, that's the way all relationships are meant to be. In fact, I was just sitting here and Spirit was reminding me of the, there was a movie titled Splendor in the Grass. Sidney Poitier, Splendor in the Grass. Just dancing and swirling in joy and happiness. No struggles, no problems. Just divine expression. And so, tonight's session will be, what is it that blocks us from the splendor in the grass? Why aren't all our relationships splendor in the grass? What is it? that's going on in our minds that gets us to be so serious. Why are we so serious with relationships? Why do we hold on to grievances? Why do we hear people say, oh, relationships, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge, they're difficult, it's tough struggle. Why is it that people joke about marriage as the ball and chain? How could how, how could that splendor in the grass ever be called a ball and chain? There must be something egoic going on in the mind to make it into a, a tether, to bring in the control. I think one of the simplest teachings from the Bible, probably, if not the, but one of the most simplest teachings from the Bible is let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. Let your yes be yes fully and let your no be no. And we've even got in our Movie Watchers Guide to Enlightenment, we've got a, a movie uh, with Jim Carrey called Yes Man where he's so closed down and he's so controlling that he's in the no all the time. He's a no man. And then he has to open up to be a yes man and only to discover by the end of the movie after he's been a yes man and his girlfriend hates him that he realizes there has to be some discernment. That All of us are going to be called to, to make some yeses and nos in our pathway back to God. And the Bible simply said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Of course there was a great Chinese philosopher, Confucius, he who hesitates is lost. So if your yes has to be yes, your no has to be no, and he who hesitates is lost, then maybe we need to explore the hesitation a bit. Why is it that we hesitate? In our community, we have a lot of different terminology, like when somebody is speaking the spiritual phraseology and using all these spiritually correct words, but their emotions and their state of mind are not matching up with those words. It's more of just an intellectual expression, but it's not really from the core of their being. We call that ghosting. Ghosting is short for metaphysical ghosting. Speaking metaphysics without having an actual experience behind those metaphysics, without having the joy, the love, the peace, the happiness. So then it's more like a, like a, like, 
like some kind of a lecture or some kind of a talk on heaven, but it's not coming from heaven. It's just the talk about heaven. And that doesn't really help us reach heaven either, just talking about heaven. So, tonight, instead of showing a movie, or instead of showing a mini-movie, we're going to dip into the Movie Watcher's Guide to Enlightenment from mwge.org, and we're going to watch a montage. It's a teaching montage of a few different films that have been put together in a montage to teach on a specific topic. And that specific topic is going to be undoing of people-pleasing. When we take on an ego mask, we will sometimes say things to people from a sense of trying to please them. And for most of us, even from childhood, we have been people-pleasers. We have a long history of first trying to please our parents, and then trying to please teachers, maybe trying to please siblings, partners, and maybe even authority figures that are in your life, like police officers. You get pulled over. Most of us don't talk back uh, when we're pulled over. If we're wise, as the police officer is strolling up to the side and we're rolling down the window, you're praying, Holy Spirit, <laughs> please direct me <laughs> in what to say and what to do. Because if you've got anger coming up, that's usually, you're going to get into repression and denial or a lot of trouble <laughs> if you start projecting your anger onto the police officer. But this is an example about how even with authority figures, we have like a people-pleasing scenario in our minds where, oh, I've got to toe the line, I've got to play by the rules. And ultimately, the only way that we're going to have happy, joyful, peaceful, fulfilling relationships is if we clear away our unconscious beliefs and we let the Spirit put the words in our mouth, and we let the Spirit guide us moment by moment, day by day. That's actually how you have a peaceful, joyful life, is to be Spirit-led, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And to start to realize how vast the mind is, that, that you don't have really have a personal mind, that's part of the illusion. But as you start to lay down the mask, and tune into guidance and live a prayerful life where you're really prayerful. I want to live a life that's an example for everyone on earth. I want to live a life that's an example of God's love. I want to be a witness for the Holy Spirit. I want to lay aside this personality self that at times is quite confused, quite conflicted and doesn't always say or do the right things because there's a different motive that's inside there. In this world, it's, it's a huge commitment to be married to somebody. To be married to a person is a huge commitment, but when we talk about spiritual awakening, it's almost like you, you have to get married to the Holy Spirit or 
maybe more accurately, married to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. You want to merge your mind with the Holy Spirit. I think that was a very profound saying from the Bible too. Let my mind be the mind that is in Christ Jesus, you know. Or another way of saying it from the Bible, it is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. I mean, if you learn to have that prayer, it is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me, and you start to take that on as your active prayer, that you just pray, and you pray it without ceasing, you will soon find that your yeses are yeses and your noes are noes. But your yeses have smiles with them, and your noes have smile. Sometimes it might even be, no thank you. Thank you for asking. Thank you for inviting me. I have something else I have to do. Uh, you can, the noes don't have to have a negative connotation as if they're wrong or bad or disappointing. But, but they have to come from that wellspring spring that is your heart. So the, the noes are no and the yeses are yes. In my own experiences, I remember um, back in the 1980s when I was doing A Course in Miracles, um, I just, I got this. I really got that I had to just be very prayerful and I, I, I mean, I was used to praying prayers at mealtime. God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for our food. food, uh, <laughs> Or some kind of re rep repetitive, ritualistic prayers. Even our, the Lord's Prayer, you know, if you just repeat the words over and over and it's just a bunch of words, it's really not a prayer from your heart. It's just a repetition of words. And so I remember as I started to get into this course much deeper and really pray on, you know, what would you have me say? What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? Um, when I would have prayers like, let me be your hands and your feet, let me be your eyes, or that I am, truly, I am here only to be truly helpful prayer. I started to really get into the, the deep experience of my life as a prayer. Please God, use my life as a prayer for the greater good of the whole. And then, oftentimes it's these past associations in your mind, uh, like my mother inviting me to birthday parties and all types of family reunions and gatherings and and it would just the invitation would come just real quick. We're having a, a party on such and such a day. Will you be there? And I'm in this prayerful place of learning to go through each day and navigate it with the Holy Spirit. And I would say, oh, I'll pray about that. Or I'll let you know. Those did not go over real well at the beginning because there was an expectation of an immediate answer. Are you going to be there or not? probably behind it is, since when do you pray? <laughs> like, I know you, and I've watched you for years, and, and now you're praying? But, but actually, it was coming from a very authentic place. It was like, I, I'll pray on that. I'll pray on that, and I'll let you know. And I always would let her know. 
what what I received, whether it was to come or I couldn't come. And it was an unwinding of people-pleasing with mom pattern that had to be undone to be of greater service for the whole. I had to, it was always very gentle, it was polite, it was positive, it was loving, but it was also very firm and direct, like now you are under Christ's control. In fact, Jesus actually told that, he worked with Helen Schuckman for seven years getting A Course in Miracles and the, the pamphlets um, translated and at sometimes Helen would be fighting and kicking, she didn't want to take dictation, she would try for a, a week or two to just not write, she wouldn't go near a pen and she would like take a stand like, no, Jesus, I'm not going to do this. And then eventually she'd get so crazy that she would come back and remember she had an assignment with Jesus and she had to come back and complete the assignment. Sometimes when she'd get a little too huffy, he would say things to her like, I don't need a mother. Uh, or the famous line Jesus told Helen, a good scribe should always be under Christ's control. <laughs> so here's this very bright woman, very brilliant and a research psychologist and occasionally would want to be in charge. And he would remind her very gently, a good scribe is always under Christ's control. That's just an example for all of us to learn to live a life of joy and happiness and alignment, to be in alignment with our source. That's all it really meant. In reality, Christ is just a pure state of light and love. There's no control to Christ. But in terms of undoing the ego, there is instructions and directions, and we are asked to listen and follow. In heaven, there's no need for correction. Christ doesn't have any control in heaven because Christ is in an eternal dance of love with God. The Father and Son are one. The Christ and God are just in an eternal dance of creation and there's no control at all. And then when it comes down to undoing the ego, actually it's very important to be tuned into your guidance and listening because your joy will depend on that connection you have with, your, with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, with your high, higher self. So these clips that we'll show, a lot of times in the past, Jason have done, and I have done a lot of, um, we just call them clips session, where we'll take a lot of clips from major motion pictures, and we'll take little scenes and scenarios, and instead of trying to watch a movie where it's all put together, we will just look at the clips, and we'll see what emotions come up, and we'll examine this people-pleasing tendency tonight. Underneath the people-pleasing, too, is this strong desire for approval and acceptance. Why do we people-please so much for much, most of our lifetimes? It's because we, we want approval and acceptance from those people that we value. As for the other billions of people on earth, we don't really care about their feedback <laughs> or their opinions, you know. But for those people that are valued, highly valued as friends, as important relationships, we, we value their friendship and their love and we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to upset them. So at times we will 
say things that is what we think they want to hear. And we have to get into the habit of speaking from the Spirit and letting the Spirit direct our words even. Because even words, you know, miracles are involuntary. They should not be under conscious control. So it takes a bit of practice to be in such a prayerful state that the words that come from you are really coming through you from the Spirit. Because the Spirit knows what's needed, what words are needed to undo the ego. And the messages that we give with our words are always for ourselves first. So you can sometimes think, what I say to my brother, what I say to my sister is what I most need to hear. To the ego that makes no sense at all. Speak your mind, get it off your chest, let it rip. Give them what's onto your mind, you know, just really tell them off, you know. No, that doesn't make any sense. What I most need to hear, but from the Holy Spirit's perspective, what I say to my brother or my sister is what I most need to hear. And some of the most profound things I've ever heard when I've prayed to the Holy Spirit has been spoken through the character of David. And then I have that thought, I need to remember that. I was just in the mode of being truly helpful. I wasn't expecting to hear this profound wisdom. I thought, maybe I'll hear it in my mind or over there, but it actually came through the mouth as I was trying to be truly helpful to a brother or sister. And then I thought, oh, I need to remember that. That's, there's the answer that I've been searching for. But it comes through in that way. So we're going to start off tonight. It's an adventure. I have not seen this this uh, mini movie, this I call them montage. I have not seen this montage either, so I'll be watching it with you. I, I probably have seen it. You haven't? Jason hasn't seen it. <laughs> Jason's just got the bag of popcorn, and he's going to be relaxing tonight. <laughs> and I don't remember it, so <laughs> we're going to be going through this together. So. People-pleasing, okay, with Spanish subtitles. Wow, did, did we do this for... It's, he found it. Okay, and he found it. With Spanish subtitles. Is that, Jesus, <laughs> comes through again. <laughs> okay, so we're just going to go into it. It's, it's titled People-pleasing, and... Um, it will, we'll look at some of the aspects of it, but just remember that there's a, a belief in inadequacy, in, in lack of worth, in fear of rejection, that, that underlies the people-pleasing. And I think we're going to see a, a pretty good range of examples of that. And you'll also see that how difficult relationships are when you're people-pleasing. Because the ego doesn't know what it wants to come of any situation. When you try to please somebody, it's like you're just working yourself into a destructive pattern where you don't clearly know what you want to come of the situation and you're trying to mold and shape the situation of the person based on your, your words. 
the flip side of people pleasing would be more like we have expression sessions where we say it's okay to let let it up and if you try to give these thoughts over to the Holy Spirit and they stay with you and they keep repeating in your mind over and over then it might be good to express these thoughts just as a way of showing that you're willing to let them go. You're not going to hide them and protect them. You're not going to stuff them down anymore. You're going to bring them into awareness so that you can let them go. So let's see where this goes. We'll, t we'll start off here. I'll set this one up. Very famous movie, Love Actually. These are two people that work together in the same office. And they both have a strong attraction to each other. They both have a crush on each other. And yet, they have avoided each other because of whatever underneath, fear of rejection or whatever. And now this is the Christmas party. And Carl has decided to ask her to dance. Big move for Carl. Because Carl's just been thinking it, but Carl has not been acting on on his thoughts, and she has not been acting either. So she kind of was a little nervous, but she got out there, and now they had an, a fast dance, but now all of a sudden it's a slow dance. So the Holy Spirit is working quickly to try to pop this thick as molasses, people-pleasing, where they've been not speaking their thoughts or not even having conversations. Even though they work in the same office, they've They've been afraid to make the first contact. And now Jesus has arranged a very nice slow dance for the first contact. And then we'll see, see where it goes. So that's a pretty extreme example of when you don't really share a purpose, then... The ego has all kinds of purposes for this world and all kinds of distractions and it doesn't, the ego doesn't want to leave room for the Holy Spirit's purpose. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is such for your mind, for you to reach back to heaven or nirvana, you have to embrace the purpose entirely, not partially. You have to fully embrace the purpose in order to accept the atonement, as Jesus talks about in A Course in Miracles. So, this is an example of the struggles that come up in interpersonal relationships when there's, a, there's guilt. There's obviously uh, her relationship with her brother, um, She's very entwined in that relationship, and you could hear a little bit of it. Our parents died, it's only the two of us, and it's, it's just the ego forms special relationships out of guilt. Like, as if the person won't live without us, as if the person uh, can't, can't go on without us. And it, sometimes it's called people-pleasing, sometimes it's called caretaking. Sometimes it's just called codependency. I mean, there's a lot of words for it we have in, in our language, but, but there's this sense of prioritizing particular relationships and particular pursuits and particular goals on the timeline. 
And all of those goals and relationships and things that, it can even be addictions that are on the timeline, are all idols. You know, in the, in the Bible it said, hold no idols before the Lord thy God. Every time we form special relationships, every time we make somebody special, something special, something more important than other things on the timeline, and we, we prioritize that, we basically block out the Holy Spirit's purpose, which would show us that there is no order of difficulty in miracles, and that means there is no hierarchy of illusions. That's why for Jesus, you know, it didn't matter whether somebody seemed to have palsy, whether they had demons, you know, they were evil, possessed by evil spirits, so-called, or they were blind, or they were deaf, or whatever. It didn't matter the condition that they had because there was no order of difficulty in miracles. Jesus was not stopped by believing that some problems were harder than other problems because he did not prioritize, he did not hold special relationships with this world. And therefore, he was open to seeing everything all the same. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do, is to see everyone and everything the same. It's a way of forgiving to come towards agape, unconditional love, not a personal love. So that what we just saw was, was an example where the priorities were there, and, and even though this was the first time that these two came together in years, after working together in the same office for years, these other priorities came in, and, and even though he said, um, it's okay, that's the way life is, there's complications and interruptions, the way they were sitting on the bed at the end there, he was like, hmm... I don't know about these complications, interruptions. Two and 30 seconds <laughs> span, you know. You can see where that's where it's going to take a willingness to be shown what these blocks are, what these idols are, and a willingness to let them go if you're going to be fully in the service of the Spirit and come to this lasting peace of mind. Because there are no real obstacles in the world. All of the obstacles that block us from inner peace are, are in the mind. And all, they're just thoughts and beliefs. And what seems to be life in this world is just a projection, but it's just a, a continuous set of opportunities to expose and release these unconscious thoughts and beliefs. That's all it's for. It doesn't really have any other purpose except to help us expose and release. We do have to pay attention to our emotions. We do have to pay attention to what our thoughts are. We do have to be willing to, to be shown these by the Holy Spirit and to then give them over. Say, here, take this from me. I would rather be peaceful than this. So that's good. Oh, and now, A World Without People Pleasing. This is a movie, I think it's probably Invention of Lying, where... Most of us did not have parents or family members or teachers or mentors that modeled a free exposing of thoughts. Uh, 
But this particular movie, uh, I think we picked out some gems of clips of, um, I call it stream of thought, stream of consciousness, where imagine you had relationships where there could be a, a stream of consciousness going on without all this withholding and stuffing of everything. How, how quickly you would <laughs> cut through the, the muck and get to what's inspiring, what truly is blessing. But it's all the people-pleasing around thoughts and stuffing them down and hiding and keeping secrets is where the, you make them real in awareness, not in reality, but in awareness. By hiding them, that's how you say that they're real and important. So this is, what's the name of Gervais? Ricky Gervais. This is the comedian Ricky Gervais uh, in the movie Invention of Lying. Now that was just a little example. It, when you have to break out of people-pleasing, when your mind is so addicted to people-pleasing, when it's become so habitual, then you will have to make movements towards becoming authentic. And all of those movements are, are again for one reason, to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. To let your yay be nay, your yay be yay, your nay be nay. To feel the connection and let the Spirit kind of speak through you. But as long as your mind is clinging to these old habits, it just means that there's some beliefs underneath that need to be raised up to awareness and questioned. And that's where you can get down to fears around loss, fears around abandonment. You know, many times people get into relationship out of a deep sense of need and lack. And they're looking for a relationship, a partnership to fill those needs. And Whenever the motive is coming from the belief in lack or the belief, the fear of loss or something, then the experience that you will draw forth, whatever it seems to be in this world, will be an opportunity to undo that unworthiness or undo that belief in lack. So it's always good. As I like to say, it's not happening to you, it's happening for you. It's all happening for your highest good. Every single experience is happening for your highest good. When you have this perspective of clearing your mind and emptying your mind, then, then you keep that perspective in mind. You're more likely to have that gratitude and appreciation for what's happening. And in this case, it was just like a little snippet there of showing most of us are not used to that much candor <laughs> and that much openness. Because there's such a fear of, of rejection and it's in the mind is saying, well, it's okay to think the thoughts, but, but just don't speak them and certainly never act on them. But this is a purification process in the mind. And that's why you have to start to allow and give yourself permission to get in touch with what those thoughts are. Much of our mind energy has been spent pushing things out of awareness and then when you start to heal, you are basically welcoming 
things up into awareness for the healing. So you can see how different that is compared to the previous purpose. Okay, let's see what's next. Another extreme. <laughs> he shoots Marjorie. But I think we can start to see from these three different scenarios that, that the way out of the ego, the way to transcend the ego and undo the ego is you have to progressively become more and more in touch with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit makes every decision for the whole for the whole universe, for the whole sonship. Even though this filters down into specific decisions that we seem to make every day, that it's possible to listen to the voice for God all throughout the day without interrupting your regular activities. It's possible to live a guided life. It's possible to turn your decision-making over, not in kind of a, uh, a ritualistic way, not saying, I, I'm going to go through the day and I will make every decision with the Holy Spirit, because you need like a sense of presence or guidance to set you in the right direction, and it will take practice. It will take trial to try this out and practice it and practice and practice but some basic things I can tell you on the road will be um, something I learned in and through the Holy Spirit with relationships and also with community living is that that you have shared agreements. You can pray together, you can join together on various agreements and then you have to honor those agreements. You know, the ego will make promises and break promises all the time. It's, it's very uh, impulsive, it's impetuous, it, it, it doesn't really know what it wants. The ego is like a wild child in the mind. It just spins around and round and round and it, it has no rhyme or reason. You know, there, if you wonder sometimes where you feel emotionally inconsistent or you be, feel even behaviorally inconsistent is because the wild child is still running the show and as long as the wild child is running the show that's where all contradictions and inconsistencies come from. The ego doesn't know what integrity is. It, it doesn't have any alignment to anything. It's a death wish. Whereas the spirit will help you line up and help all aspects of your consciousness line up in this beam of light. And that's where the consistency of, of attitude comes in. With shared agreements, you know, there can be times where you can join together. There's one part in the Song of Prayer that I particularly like, and this is where Jesus was saying that if two people pray together, and they are genuinely attuned, they will hear the same thing at the same time. 
Now that's one of the strongest indications of how the Holy Spirit. There aren't seven billion different Holy Spirits that are uniquely individualized for every person. There's one Holy Spirit and that, that's what it means to join in the power of prayer. And you can see that if you pray together and you hear the same thing at the same time, there's the end of conflict. If you can learn to do that consistently, there will be no fights, there's no debates, there's no struggles, there's no confrontations, there's no challenges. It's just attunement. It's just a, a particular specialized version of, Father, what is your will for me? Where you just get into that place of tuning in, tuning in to the Spirit, and then flowing with that. And ultimately this is, this is where initially you may start off with voicing your thoughts, talking things through, but the more you develop a very strong prayer life, you will not need this, these expression sessions will fade away. And you will become more and more telepathic, where you can sense if something doesn't feel right, if something feels a little bit off, if something feels a little weird or strange, then it's an opportunity to join, again, to go back into prayer. That's how practical having a strong prayer life is. It, it's so important for your state of mind, for the way that your life even plays out, to come into that attunement. You know, there's been different types of, of we could say even government in this world, from dictatorships to uh, socialism systems to democracies and so forth. And, and even when you talk about decision-making, there's all different kind of models for decision-making. Uh, one model that people feel aligned with in their heart is called consensus. But when you get a group of people together and who don't pray together, who don't have the same purpose, the chances of getting consensus, it's probably one of the slowest forms of decision making because you can go round and round and round for hours where, where you have a dissenting party or group of people or person. I don't like it. I'm not going to go for that. That's why you can see where alignment with the Holy Spirit is so important because it's not so much a consensus between persons, but it's a consensus an alignment with the Spirit. That's where the, the answer comes in. So, really, you could see that this whole life is a series of joinings and collaborations of, of a, coming into that attunement with the Spirit. And then the more you devote your life to that, the more that is the authentic spiritual life. That is what authentic spiritual awakening is about. Coming into that alignment, feeling in harmony with, feeling in attunement with. That's the, that's the joy. That's the splendor in the grass. When you're out there just dancing in a free flow and you don't really have any thought about how you're dancing or how it looks or 
whatever, you're just in the joy of that extended dance and expression, then that's what it's all about. But to do that in a practical way, what we call practical living, it means you have to be really willing to open up to the prayer of your heart and, and come into attunement with that prayer. It's not so much always just praying for specifics. I wish this would happen or that would happen, but it's more, it's coming into alignment. Almost like, you know, if you have a musical instrument and you have a, a, a duplicate of that, let's say a string instrument, and you're playing, playing that instrument nearby to the other instrument, you know, the chords will vibrate on that, that second instrument because there's an attunement there. That's how you want to think of your mind, your consciousness too, coming into that, that vibration and attunement. So that's our topic for tonight. That was our little springboard. I don't know how long it was, but it was 20, 30 minutes or 26 minutes of, of inroads. But we can talk about this in a practical way because this is a, this is a key point in authentic spiritual awakening. Coming to that alignment, feeling that connection. And using prayer as a way of, of coming into that alignment. Prayer as your means. Initially that can be a pretty big leap, so that's where we talk things through. I don't know if you, some of you remember the 1960s, the encounter groups. I don't think we called them holy encounters back then, but still, <laughs> we had the encounter part. There was the encounter coming together. People of diverse backgrounds and diverse belief systems and so forth coming together in an encounter. Valuing the encounter. Seeing that there's something important in the encounter. Not to be missed. Something very precious that was there. So does anybody have any anything that came up or any kind of uh, questions or topics? We've got our lights coming on here. I could I could speak because uh, I just love this movie because I was even watching today I was putting out a prayer because I was out with JP for a couple hours and I really loved being with him and his focus and there's so much to train him with this movie camera and really join with him on going to Iceland. And, and then we're, in, we're right by that Chapala sign. Everything's flowing and then somebody comes up and asks if we could take their picture. And I was like working on it so I wasn't going to do it but JP grabbed it, took the picture, and kind of broke our flow. Then we got back into it, and then someone came up, like, you know, we're right there in this camera intricate thing, and he's like tapping me on the shoulder and putting the camera in my face. He's like, Can you take a picture of the family? And I was like, It's like, no. I didn't say it, but that was what I was feeling. And I, I thought, I'll just do this quick, you know, be nice to the Mexicans. <laughs> so I went over and I 
took the picture, and then they're like, more, 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 and like they just kept going more and more. And, and then they said, wait, 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 and their family had to run from across this thing, and then, like, wait, wait, wait. So was, meanwhile, I could just <laughs> feel this, like, some kind of anger or whatever, and I was like, but I didn't really notice it. It was just this discomfort. So then I go back to JP, and all of a sudden, like, like the noise is going off with the, the guy drives up with those big stereos attached to his car. And pumping that out, and I'm like, we got to move. This is something that's just too noisy around here, you know. So we go to the other end, and then he moves the car and follows us yeah. as we're walking down <laughs> the Malacan. <And> I'm, <laughs> it wasn't until just this moment that I realized it wasn't the noise or the car driving. It was, it was this people pleasing around the picture that then just that I didn't even really notice that we had to stop. We had to stop the whole project, go for lunch, and just. I had to get away from everything. So I was just like, wow. Even in my life where I feel like everything is so rich, there's still these points. Like you've got a, you're out in public and you've got a camera. <laughs> it's almost like wearing a big T-shirt. Let me take your picture for you because people see a camera. And then they say, oh, here's somebody who's good with a camera. And we can't have, be all in the photo unless somebody else. And so, yeah. So there's all these things, and then, and then it comes down to to your purpose, because the spirit's purpose is so gracious. And when you're in the spirit's flow, the spirit is for the best for the whole universe. So there's always a sense of of spaciousness, graciousness, and so forth that comes through when you're in that attunement. But also, there's a sense of what serves the whole. So if, if this brief interaction with JP before he goes off to Iceland to, to work on a movie is a precious time for working together, that's where the spirit can come in and be quite firm. And then, as you go deeper into this, and deeper and still deeper into this, you get into this experience that I'll just call being the dreamer of the dream, where all the characters are just dream figures, equally. And you're just watching this, like, giant film, but you're just, if, if your mind could smile, it would be smiling, if it had mouth to smile. It's just so delicious when you're watching anything, everything. And... From that perspective, everything feels very surreal, but there aren't any kind of past associations in terms of shoulds or ought tos, you know, all those things that are so thick and heavy. Oh, I should do this. Oh, it's my duty to do this. It's my obligation. Or trying to figure things out. When you get back far enough into your mind where you're the dreamer of the dream, it's so delightful because you're like watching the dance and all the figures, no matter what they're saying or doing, whether they're making a sound or not, whether they're speaking, whatever language they're speaking. That's why I used to love to travel to countries where I did not speak the language. I had no comprehension and they would all be around me talking and I didn't understand a single word of what they were talking about and I would just be reveling like, Ooh, this is so much fun. Because there was nothing in my mind that was trying to wonder what they were saying. 
was trying to follow their conversations. You know, if you're in a country, you go to a restaurant and there's somebody loud in the table next to you. How many of you have heard the loud and started to follow <laughs> the conversations and found yourself getting upset because you didn't like or agree to what was being spoken? But imagine, I'm using that example of going to a country where you don't know the language and you just... It's like a symphony of sounds that you have no past association with. It's really fun. It's like a, it is like a, a symphony. And then there are kind of extreme examples. I remember um, there was one time many years ago where my friend Jeffrey and I, we took a trip. I think we were going down to Kentucky and... We were in rural Kentucky, and we were actually at a uh, at a red light, and there was a car behind us. Uh, I think they were like maybe eight or fifteen feet away from us, and we were sitting at the red light, and we were talking. But I was in this beautiful state of mind where everything was just a dream. And then I remember uh, there was a big ba bang and it was uh, the car behind us got, um, got hit by a, a speeding car and it just crashed in and there was glass flying and there was this big bang sound and crunching and... Um, and I remember, this has happened to me a couple times where I've been really close to a, like a major collision. But it's almost like the, the sound was, was very surreal. And I would watch the glass go flying by. It was almost like in slow motion where you're close enough to a major accident. But your mind is so detached that you're like watching the glass and the sound. And I remember it, the car behind kind of was thrown forward. A number of feet, but it it just it didn't. Our car was not touched. It was just surreal. And I remember the light turned green, and just driving off. The Holy Spirit had me drive off as if as if nothing at all had happened. And that is the the feeling of it. There's no sense of programming. There's no sense of conditioning. It's that state of I do not know what anything is for. And that's where this mind training is taking your mind to this state where you, I do not know what anything is for. I do not know what anything, including this, means. It's taking you to into salvation, which is this sense of, of truly not knowing anything about anything, including your identity. I do not know the thing I am, what I'm doing, where I'm going, or how to look upon the world or upon myself. That salvation, that state of mind, that emptiness, that stillness, that not knowing, just like not being able to understand the language, you have to let your mind get full permission to go into that pristine state of not knowing what the world is. And that 
you know, the world may say that's just plain dumb, that you're an idiot, you're an imbecile, you're, you're gullible. You know, the ego has a lot of words it will try to throw onto that state. But that's just the state of this relaxation where you just cannot figure the world out. And you don't have a should there. It's not like, I don't know what this is, but I should. <laughs> there is no should overlaying that. It's just delightful where you totally are freeing your mind of, of all past associations of what everything means. That's the whole purpose of this guidance. If, if you just follow guidance, it will just take you more and more and more unwinding from the ego toward that state of mind. And of course, as you get closer to that state of mind, the ego will panic. Because, you know, there's lesson number 13 of the Course, the meaningless world engenders fear. As you get closer to seeing the world as meaningless, the ego will screech and scream and kick because it made up this fake world. And it gave all these false meanings to this world. That's lesson number two. I have given everything I see, all the meaning. As for me, it's the ego that gave all these false associations. And as you get closer to that point of non-judgment, that, to that point of letting it all go, that's when the ego will throw its great temper tantrum because there's nothing that scares the ego more than meaninglessness. Why is that? Why is the ego so scared of meaninglessness? It's because behind all this false associations and false meanings is the Word of God. And some of you remember that, how glorified that is in the Bible when it talks about the Word of God with a capital W. There's a part in the, the workbook of A Course in Miracles where Jesus tells us what the Word of God is. The Word of God is, I am as God created me. It's an experience of being a, cre a perfect creation of God. That's the Word of God. And all these false associations have been made as a veil to cover over the Word of God. I am as God created me. In fact, that was recently, a few days ago, that was, um, that was the, the workbook lesson. I am as God created me. The Word of God was the work workbook lesson. And he said, this, is, this answers everything. This is, the, this is the only thing that has meaning this, at all. Nothing else has meaning but this. So, I feel like this is really valuable because when we watch some clips like this, we can start to see that when I am still in that mode of pleasing, trying to please, 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 uh, you, you cannot fully let go into the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because the guidance of the Holy Spirit does not come with any people-pleasing. The Holy Spirit has no need of people-pleasing. The Holy Spirit is going to send through the, the guidance, the instructions that will send radiated blessing out to the whole universe. But there's no pleasing that's involved in that. And as you go deeper and deeper into tuning in with the Holy Spirit, then you see, at some point you see, oh my God, this is my whole way out. This is the saving grace. This is, is what's going to save my mind. 
from this, this judgment trap. It's not like I am ever going to figure out personally how to stop judging. It's just that eventually I must, the mind must rise into its natural state of non-judgment and feel how wonderful, how delicious it is to have no judgments. And go, whoa, this is it. You know, it's like a self-recognition. Wow, this is amazing. This is spectacular. This is my splendor in the grass. <laughs> is, is the state of non-judgment. And it, it's, speaking of joy, we were all dancing, dancing for joy out there, but joy, happiness, glee, that's, that's the natural condition of the mind. The mind was never created to struggle, never created to, to judge. I like the manual for teachers in A Course in Miracles because um, there's a great line in there. It says, to the advanced teacher of God there is no challenge. Wow! That's cool. No challenge. <laughs> That's just a, a natural state of mind to not feel challenged. To just be as you are. There couldn't be a challenge in, in that state of mind. And then, it's like, wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I want to train my mind or follow the instructions or do whatever it takes to not be challenged. In the end, it's... Uh, you have something to give. There's always something to give. There's always something to extend in any situation. And in giving what you have to give, then that is where the peace comes in. The peace doesn't come from outcomes. Um, I had a phone call this morning. Some of you know our friend Lisa. She, um, her biological father died, passed away, and uh, some weeks ago, and um, nobody bothered to let her know. Nobody bothered to let her know that her dad passed away, and so one uh, one night, I think uh, I had just gone with her up to uh, Utah. And she had kind of a sleepless night where she couldn't sleep and she got up and she went to the internet and she was, she knew that he hadn't been well and she was going through and so she found the obituary. Guided by the spirit in the middle of the night when she couldn't sleep, she found the obituary that her father had died and passed away. And then she read the obituary and she wasn't mentioned in the obituary. <laughs> so not only did he die, she didn't know about it, she read the obituary, she wasn't even mentioned as his daughter in the obituary. Um, there was no talk about a, f a layout, seeing the body, or burial, or no announcements, anything like that. And so she's, over the past few weeks, it's been an opportunity for a lot of letting go and forgiveness, because there was this sense of being 
unrecognized or not communicated with and so on and so forth and she's she's actually back in Pennsylvania right now just following the guidance but but the mission is always the same wherever the Holy Spirit would have you go whatever the Holy Spirit would have you do I can tell you for sure that the mission is always about giving the mission is always about extending the mission is always about letting the Spirit come through in some way that extends the truth. And, and I think for Lisa this has been a, a beautiful forgiveness opportunity because it brought up some kind of darkness, some kind of shame, like there was a shroud of, of secrecy, a shroud of cover-up um, around this, the death of her biological father and and no matter where we have to go, no matter who we have to meet, no matter what we have to say or do, the Spirit is guiding us through extending, through giving, to realize who we are. Every situation is only for joy. Every situation is only for happiness. Only for giving. Only for extending. Why is this so important is because the ego motive for everything is to what? Get. The ego always wants to get something. Get recognition. Get understanding. Get an inheritance. Get something. Get some kind of outcome. And the Spirit is wanting us to give, give, get so into the joy of giving that literally the world will fade away in our awareness. Because as we give, as God gives, with no expectations, no strings, just get into the joy, the fountain, the everlasting fountain of giving, then the world of the ego, the world that the ego made, the world of lack, the world of scarcity, the world of getting, fades in our awareness and keeps fading and fading and fading away. And that's how we realize who we are as a child of God, through the giving, through the Beatitudes, through that extending. It's not a, a habit that, that human beings are accustomed to either, you know. In fact, in this world we have this strange phrase, giving to get. <laughs> you see the hook that comes on the end of the giving. Giving to get. If we're giving to get, that means the ego motive is still under the giving. And we're not giving as God gives. We can't know ourselves as a pure idea in the mind of God as long as we keep these associations in our mind. So, in one sense, there was a, a famous Swedenborgian minister, Johnny Appleseed. I don't know if some of you know the story where he just had a little sack of apple seeds on his back and he would just go through the land flinging seeds everywhere. That's kind of a neat metaphor. Imagine you just have a, a, an unending pouch of seeds of love to give away and your, your purpose every day is to fling and spread those seeds and not look where they land, or <laughs> did they germinate, <laughs> or 
is, are people appreciating the seeds? You know, you see how that undoes all the pride. It does, undoes the self-concept. It does un, undoes the make-believe self-concept. So to me that's, that's what this is all about. And then today, this morning, when I talked to her early in the morning, she was sitting there talking to me and then she looked out while we were on the phone and there was a license plate there and on the license plate it said heal. <laughs> and she said, okay, I just saw the license plate, it says heal. It's like that's the purpose, that's the purpose for, for going there. That's the purpose for everything is to heal. And so then we talked more and uh, and uh, she said, something is not complete here. I've come all the way from Mexico to Pennsylvania and there's something still doesn't feel done or complete. There's something still feels blocked and so um, I, I said, uh, what about sending a letter to your dad's wife. And uh, she said, yeah, I could, I could do that. And she said, oh, I have, I have her email address. And I said, put it all down in an email. Share all of your thoughts. Just extend everything there. Whatever they are, don't try to censor it or figure it out or control it, just give it. Send that email before, before you leave. She said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, send, I'm going to send that email and I'm going to say, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here right now. It's part of that email. And that, that to me is again that acknowledgement. God acknowledges our identity. The things of the world are, are never going to be acknowledging our true identity. The five senses, the perceptions of the world, the images of the world are never going to acknowledge that you are the holy child of God. Or as in the matrix terms, you are the one. <laughs> we love it when we get those reflections from the matrix movie and all the, and the different movies and but actually as the oracle does tell Neo in that movie, in the matrix, no one can tell you that you are the one. You have to find it for yourself. You have to experience it for yourself. It doesn't do any good <laughs> people telling you it. That can be a nice reflection, but in the end it has to be an acceptance. No one can tell you you're the one. You have to find it for yourself. And then, at some point, Neo still believes he's going to the oracle to be told that he's the one. So he's, he hangs in there with her and, and she says, okay, open your mouth. Ah, she, she's looking in his mouth. You might remember that scene. She's looking in his mouth. She's just giving him some more time. And as she's looking into his mouth, almost like a dentist, the oracle says to Neo, but you already know what I'm going to say. 
You see how she throws it back again on his mind. But you already know what I'm going to say. As she gives him some time by looking in his mouth. And finally he says, I'm not the one. That's his, that's his awareness. I'm not the one. And she says, sorry kid, you're still looking for something. You see, she reflects back to him. The people in our world just reflect back what's going on in our mind. He says, I'm not the one. She says, sorry kid, you're still looking for something. Something else, something in the future. You know, an oracle can only, a person can only reflect that back. We have to come to that realization in our mind for ourself. We, that's why they call it self-realization. <laughs> or self-actualization is what Abraham Maslow called it. it. It's a state of mind. But it goes beyond the witnesses. It has to be a recognition in mind. It's not coming from the five senses. Good stuff. <laughs> Anyone else have anything? for translations here. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. In Spanish, because in English is too difficult for me this time. Eh, hace unos días, no recuerdo si leí o vi un video donde David decía que tenemos que deshacer la identidad personal la identidad corporal. A few days ago I read um, or I saw this video of David talking about undoing the self identity. Y me puse a reflexionar sobre eso, de quién era yo. And I started thinking about what, what am I? Y me di cuenta que yo era resultado de mi pasado. And I noticed that I was just like an outcome of my past. Y me seguí pensando que todo ese pasado realmente nunca sucedió. And I started um, noticing that really all that past never happened. En consecuencia yo no soy lo que yo pensaba que era. So uh, that's why I am not what I think I was. Pero no supe qué era. But I didn't know what I was. Eh, en mi inteligencia, intelectualmente, sé que soy el hijo de Dios, que soy creación divina, pero en ese momento no sentí nada. Intellectually, I know that I am the son of God, but in that, that moment I didn't feel anything. Y me dio mucho miedo. And I was very afraid. Eh, estoy pasando por una situación complicada. I'm going through this complicated um, moment. Sigo viviendo con mis papás, no tengo trabajo. I'm still live, living with my parents and I have no job. Ni dinero. Or money. Y me puse a pensar que quizás sea 
mi, mi sufrimiento es porque estoy asumiendo un papel que he aprendido. And I thought that maybe my suffering it's because I'm um, doing this role that I have learned. So, soy el hijo, yo tendría que estarlos manteniendo a ellos, no ellos a mí. I'm the son, I should be the one um, supporting my parents and not them to me. Y le pregunté al Espíritu si, si tenía que aprender algo de eso. And I asked the Spirit if I had to learn anything from that. Y analicé que tengo casa, tengo comida, tengo mucho amor y tengo tiempo para, para orar, para meditar, para profundizar y me sentí muy agradecido y muy cuidado en ese momento. And I realized that I have a home, that I have food, that I live in a loving environment and I have time to pray and just go inwards. So I really felt very, very grateful in that moment. Pero me sigo sintiendo ante, ante mi familia, me siento mal porque no cumplo con lo que tengo que estar haciendo. Entonces estoy confundido al respecto. So I'm confused about this. Si quiero complacerlos a ellos o, o, o es lo que es el plan de Dios para mí en este momento. If I have to please them or just um, be aware that this is God's plans for me right now? Oh, thank you. That's a very, very good question. Well, Jesus tells us in, in A Course in Miracles that prisoners who have long been in the darkness with their eyes closed do not quickly rise up into the light. That their, the light would be too bright. Uh, their eyes have been closed in the darkness for far too long. And so they are given a function that is part of the transition. Uh, he goes on at one point of the course to, to, to as they begin to follow the guidance and take on their function, um, the Holy Spirit removes the judgments and removes the doubt and the fear from the mind. And he says, uh, their eyes are still closed, but a smile has come across their sleeping face. <laughs> See, now he's, he's starting to describe where this function will take us. You still have eyes closed, still dreaming, but a smile has come on their sleeping face. They're still dreaming, but and their eyes are closed, but, but the, the happy dreams, the smile is the symbol of those happy dreams. What you're describing is a great question because the, the hypnotism of the ego, the mesmerism, the great lie of this whole world is, is very simply summarized in that the world made you. Uh, this is like ground zero. This is the most baseline assumption for all human beings. You know, when they say, I am American or I'm a, a Mexican or a Russian, uh, it's there. Uh, who are your parents? 
who birthed you? It's, and that's still part of the world, as if the world or the dream made you. And Jesus, with all of his lessons and all of his mind training, is going to turn that one lie, it's going to turn it all the way around the other way. That's why he has lessons like, I have invented the world I see. You see, I have invented the world I see contradicts, I am a victim of the world. The world made me. I am a product of the world. I am the product of a generation. I am the product of parents. I am the product of a country. I am the product of a culture. If you think of it in economic terms, when you go to the grocery store, you walk down the aisles to buy what? Products. And the ego, to the ego, this body is no different than that soap, or that chewing gum, or that apple, or that carton of milk. The ego has turned, in its version, the Holy Son of God into a product. And, of course, even in this world we have human trafficking where, where humans, children and humans, are sold bought and sold as like slaves. Still, in this world we have human trafficking. That's the most extreme example. But even for those that think they're successful capitalists, with they've worked hard for their money, they've saved, they've invested, they've got that nest egg now, now they're spending their nest egg and they're successful. Mm -mm. That's just another version of you're still a product. The world made you. So, Jesus is turning it, everything around. He does say, I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings that I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. That's quantum. He's saying, no, 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 no. You are far, far, far from a product. Your mind is making all this up. Your mind is projecting the entire cosmos, including mom and dad, including Mexico and all the different countries, planet Earth and the solar system and the galaxies and on and on and on. That mind is the one that's projecting it. You see how different that is from this sense of, oh, I am, I am a person and the world made this person. Not only did mom and dad have a hand in making this person, but all those memories, all that whatever education, all that cultural conditioning, all those memories of years and years and years, the cumulative memories, people sometimes say, I am the, the sum of all the cumulative memories of everything that the world did to me or that happened to me. It's still all backwards. So that's, when we say mind training, why, why is mind training necessary? Why is spiritual discipline necessary? Because it's a mental addiction 
of believing that you're the product of something that's outside of you. And that is the great lie. That's the only lie there is. In fact, if, if you see past that one lie, you've seen past everything. It's only one lie to see past. It's this sense, whenever anybody gets upset or angry, it's always this thing going on. Like underneath all the anger and the rage and the fear and the guilt and the shame, it's always this thing of, I am the thing that you made of me. And, and it's the sense of, I stand condemned because of, because of what you did to me. You, you looked at me that way. You said something. I don't like your tone of voice. Your tone of voice proves that I am, I am what the world made of me. Just a tone of voice. You know, the ego will use any scrap of evidence to convince about this great lie. That's the one lie. And then you can see Jesus counters it with, um, I am spirit. I am the holy son of God himself. I am as God created me. I have invented the world I see. You know, you can see all of his lessons in the Course are going to contradict the great lie. And including this thing about, uh, like for example, indebtedness, uh, you know, we, we are in communication with a number of people and some people feel like this calling, like they're being called by God to this profound, deep, sacred mission. They don't even know what it's going to be or how it's going to go, but they feel it in their heart. But they may be 25 years old or 45, 50, they still have these things, I'm indebted to this, I'm indebted to that. I had a, a woman, I, I put these uh, workbook lessons of the course, I, I read a section of the course and I, and I read a workbook lesson and it's recorded. And she wrote in there, but what of jobs and what of, you know, she started to write all the things that seemed to be necessities of this world. And she's saying, if what I just heard in this lesson is true, then it means I really need to go, she was just questioning, what, what, what do I do? And I, I did, I actually took the time to reply and start to talk a little bit about, as you trust in the Spirit, every human need will be met. But, but the key thing is, is how are you perceiving even the meeting of needs? Is it the Spirit meeting my needs? Or is it my parents? Is it the government meeting my needs with a handout? Is it my employer meeting my needs? You see, the, it's the thinking. That's where the trap is. I am a product of the world, automatically throws out all these things, so it seems like I'm dependent upon an external world. I am at the mercy of an external world. But as you accept your function, which of course is happiness, but including whatever helpful ways the spirit can use the puppet for a while, all of that starts to turn things around. And then actually what I've found is then the, the needs, the appetites, the things that were so human, the things that we really so identified with making us human, they start to fade away. 
our memories start to move away. It's, it's an amazing process when you start to lose, when you try to think of something and you can't think of it. And the ego goes, you're getting senile, you're getting old, you're being forgetful, you're, you're getting dementia. You know, it will come immediately with some dark kind of thing. But the spirits like, no, anything that you need to know, I will tell you. And the rest you will forget. Until you forget all of time and space. So this is the journey too with memory. We'll start to forget more and more and more and more and more as we go closer to God. And then to remember God we have to forget everything else. Just like to forget God we had to make up <laughs> a lot. <laughs> It's been hard, actually, to forget God. This love has called to us since time began. This love is like calling us home, and we've tried to learn a lot of stuff to block that memory of love. But it won't go away. It's, it's still there. So I would say that's, that's part of the transition. Even you having, okay, you seem to be unemployed, but you have, you have, you're there with your parents, you have time to pray, you have time to come to these meetings. It's like, what a blessing. I always see what a blessing that is. And then as you, all you do is you take one step at a time, day by day, that, that will continue to be a blessing and cleanse everything. But uh, some days the ego say, are oh, you lazy, you're lazy, you're dumped, is correct? Yeah. Uh, you're not, you are not, you, no estás haciendo nada con tu vida, estás, estás estancado con tu vida. You're not doing anything, you're just stuck with your life. Y si, uh, paso momentos de repente así que digo, uh, hablo con el, con el espíritu, y con el espíritu y le digo, ¿qué, qué hago? Ayúdame, no, Siento de repente que es mucho tiempo igual y llego a, des a desesperarme un poco. Yeah, so I say to the spirit, like, please talk to me, say something. And sometimes I get desperate, like it feels like too long in this. Yeah, yeah, I, I went through a similar thing because I remember going through years of university and whatever, but. But I, I didn't live at the university, I commuted. So I was in uh, my parents' basement for years, years and years. And, uh, oh, the ego tried everything, you know, lazy, dumb. I mean, I've, I've never heard so many words. It comes up with a lot of, <laughs> a lot of different words. Uh, no good, good for nothing. I mean, it really... It has quite a vocabulary <laughs> when it's trying to condemn you. It's quite uh, has a vast vocabulary. But but again, you know that was a period for me of trust. Uh, I was praying, doing my lessons, and and then actually there did come a point where um, I remember reading the Bible. Jesus says, "There's his letters in red." Uh, when much is given you, much will be required. Uh, 
And I said, well, I don't even know what that means. Now I can tell you decades later, <laughs> this body's been like a worker bee. It's been all over the world many times and spoken millions and millions of words and was used in huge amounts of ways. But it started out in my parents' basement and then eventually uh, when I could feel that was that time was running out, um, I bought a travel trailer and some land for about $2,600. So I had my whole house and, and land miraculously came in and then I was off living in the woods like Robin Con Robinson Crusoe or something, you know, among the bugs. And I, I went through all kinds of different phases. But it was, in one sense, it was me just taking a stand saying, I'm, no, I'm going to go for this. You may say I'm a product of the world, but I, I can't really hang on to that belief. I cannot, I will never be happy if I am nothing but a product of time and space. With a coordinate point as a birth point and a coordinate for death and, you know, the, the assumed things of the world. I just couldn't believe that. And I did, I mean, even in university, I remember having discussions with other uh, students. And uh, that was quite humorous, too, because I remember I was in graduate school, and um, some of the graduate students came to me and they said, David, please, please. And I said, what? And they said, get a life. Get a life. And I said, get a life? What does that even mean? They said, go into debt, get a mortgage, get married, do something normal, please. And, and I said, that's a life? <laughs> they said, yes. And I said, yeah, and grow old and get sick and die. And they said, yeah, now you're getting it. Now you're getting the hang of it. And I said, absolutely not. And they said, do you know how many trillions of people have already done that? What makes you think you're going to be the exception uh, to all these trillions, you know? And I remember saying, I don't know. When I talk to Jesus, he's always given me the pep talk that eternal life is destiny, that it's the only thing there is that you'll ever find, that you'll, you won't know anything till you know who you are and who God is. And I kept getting all these pep talks. But, uh, yeah, they didn't really like that answer. They go, oh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, get a life. But actually, I never did get a life. Uh, I still haven't succumbed to the world. Thank you. <laughs> I need to speak. <laughs>
feels like I'm on the verge of the, the two worlds, two thought systems, all the time. And it it's driving me crazy. I can't stand it. And either I am in an ego mode, people-pleasing mode, or I am in such a deep state of something that I am unable to normally function in the world and I'm just so out of it. And there is no middle ground like you, you know, describe that you're just like around doing stuff prayerfully, always guided. I just, I don't know what that really means. It doesn't happen. It's like high or just human. And I know we were, you know, we were talking and I'm, it's like this, this subject just comes around and around in my mind because I can't stand it and I don't know what I'm just getting impatient and the most authentic I am on expression sessions and you know outside of that I can't say that I am in a no people pleasing mode it's just it feels like if I am to be like in this clip, just saying stuff or being completely open, then I wouldn't be able to sometimes normally communicate with people. I would just have to sometimes close my eyes and cry because it hurts so much. Even looking sometimes people in the eyes just hurts me physically. It feels... Like something is just it's just very raw and intense. And it feels like before I came here I exerted so much effort. I'm like I've gone I made a huge progress. But when I came here, it's like another another level, another lid was taken off, and I'm going through this difficulties again. I mean, I'm just wondering, when will this end? Because it's really difficult to even keep up that effort. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean you're coming to this community. I remember that that time when uh, you were on our online uh, weekend retreat and and you really said is it okay? I'm I I've written down my revelatory experience and then is it okay? Is it okay if I read this? And that that was a tremendous leap of faith and trust to to read that out and yet i know there were many that were on online and some of our community that they were it was so refreshing um to have someone come on an online retreat and 
and read out the best to the best you could put words to it because it's beyond the words but you did you did an amazing job of of expressing this deep communion experience that that like you say it's either up there or it's way way down and and this is this this is the dilemma that all of the mystics and saints throughout history have faced where they they have this huge draw into this high state of mind and then it's almost the feeling is like it's almost impossible to live in the other state and many of the mystics and saints have have journaled and written it down sometimes they they have to go out into nature they they actually they have so many associations in their mind with people and shoulds and shouldn'ts and do's and don'ts and don't say this and be a good little girl and act this way and you know there's so much thick conditioning around the people that many times um like with saint francis um after he got back from the war he had a, a great fever uh, because the fever in his body, this hot temperature, was almost like he couldn't reconcile um, God with war. It's almost like he was told by the bishop, he was told by the Catholic Church, go out and kill Muslims. And he tried it and then he was really twisted. His mind was really twisted after he went to war. When he came back, he just had a great fever and was in bed for many 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 days and and then when he first came out of the fever um, the spirit used right away it was the first thing that he saw was a bird chirping and he started the spirit worked with him just with that little bird just with the bird chirping because that bird chirping was closer to this connection experience that he had had than the people. And then he didn't stay in the house very long. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. If not, we'll have to play it for you. He couldn't stay around the people, his parents, very long. He had to go out into nature. And it doesn't show it in the movie, but I know from his uh, autobiography that that he had these mystical experiences out in nature with with plants and flowers and animals just like shimmering almost like we say digital almost like he was having this experience of energy and he was seeing light all around the plants and the animals and the familiar things in nature but you see how the spirit took him away from the people and into nature because it was it was a, a, a step that was comprehensible to him. And I know that happened to me too after 10 years of university. I went down and lived in the woods and um, oh, there was so much intensity coming up but I was talking to the plants and trees. Oh, if my psychology classmates, they would say, David has lost it for sure. He should have got a life. Now he's down talking to the plants and the trees. He's probably hearing voices. And 
whatever. Actually, it was quite good. I had my Course in Miracles book down there, and I was communing with different creatures, and uh, I was much more like St. Francis. I, was, I had more of a rapport and communion with the flowers and the, and the plants than I did with all these people, parents and girlfriend and, oh my gosh, all these classmates and professors. Is, I just had to get away. And so I did. I did go away. And, and nobody understood it. I remember my mother saying, what are you doing? You're going to go live in the woods? You didn't even like the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts. You didn't even like to go camping, and now you're going to live out there. You know, it was just so... And my girlfriend, I remember at the time, she goes, Oh, God, this is just... You're going to live in the woods? You know, it was... You ha I just had to take steps, because the, the pressure was very intense inside my mind. I was like getting my calling, but it didn't fit with the world at all. But I, I did keep following and following. And then it took, it was quite a bit of time down there in the woods, and eventually people from Course in Miracles groups would come and visit me. I'd occasionally go to a course group in Lexington, Kentucky or something, and then they'd come spend some time with me up in the woods. So it was the people were brought in kind of slowly but but there was a, a, tr a transition but I just had to be very prayerful and say to the Spirit, what do you want of me? You know, what what would be helpful to me? I had to really take it day by day because of the uh, the intensities there. And so that's very much a, of how the journey goes, it has to be comprehensible to us. If we just feel that this split in the mind between the the connected state and, and the ego state, it's just like an enormous gap. And it's it's intolerable. It just feels absolutely intolerable. It's worse than having an abscessed tooth. It's just it's just intolerable in the mind and yet it helps us develop a prayer life where we quickly surrender over to God and say, you're going to have to show me, you're going to have to guide me, you're going to have to lead me. I need help. You know, that, that cry for help just grows more pointed and more strong in, in that sense because you start to realize a lot of the things that came before aren't going to serve. They just don't serve. It's like you're in new territory. And then you pray and you get guidances and you follow those and then you move into new territory, new territory. Even here at the community, um, there's a friend of mine, some of you may probably know Danny. Do you know Danny? He's from Sweden originally. And Danny came here and was part of our community for quite a while and then one day, he was out in the garden, in the grass in the gardens here, and he just, boom, he sprung into this very profound, mystical experience. And, and even after that, it wasn't easy for him, because then when someone said, uh, 
aren't you on the pool? Aren't you cleaning the pool? He looked at him like, I don't know if I can clean the pool. <laughs> you know, it didn't fit even well with community life because it was such a vast experience. And I know he he was off to Brazil, and and know he traveled. And Jenny worked with him over in uh, Sweden and and Spain. And I he, he was part of a with Desi and a group of a community down here and everything. He did, I think, wrote to me or to Jenny at one point and said, uh, "said Well, I, I, the mystical experience was so profound that I didn't feel I could continue to do my chores in community anymore. It was absolutely, I couldn't put the two together. But then later on, some months or years later, I think he did communicate and he said, Well, that was, that was the last kind of full-blown mystical experience. When I left the community, I didn't have any of those mystical experiences anymore. The point I'm making is you have to, you will have to navigate this, where you, you do have to give your mind over into the experience. And you do have to trust the Spirit to handle all things. Because for me, I had a lot of mystical experiences early on, revelatory experiences where the world disappeared and amazing mystical experiences. But that was more like a 4th of July fireworks uh, show for my mind. I'm like, whoa, wow, whoa, wow, whoa. And then Jesus was like, now let's get busy. <laughs> so for the next <laughs> 25 years, go here, go here, do this, do this. You know, it's like... For those who much is given, much will be required. Here, I'll give you some blast of the great rays. Okay, this is where it all ends in, in love and light. Now, now we've got some work to do for the sonship. And so it went from mystical experiences off in the woods into going like 40-some countries and around and around and around and into all these people's homes that I didn't even know and and... It was like a huge function seemingly spun out of that after those mystical experiences. But it was my mind saying, be you in charge. I give you my mind. I give you my heart. I give you my body. I give you my resources. You are in charge. You are the one who is in charge of the whole plan of spiritual awakening. Because you've completed your part perfectly, Jesus is the one that that inspires miracles, that brings miracles through. Even some of the most famous people, spiritual people in history, Jesus would have, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, I think, Edgar Casey was like legendary psychic. And Jesus said, Casey made a great contribution to the plan of awakening. It could have been far greater, <laughs> Jesus says, if he'd put his mind under my direction. Well, okay. Well, I'll learn from Casey then. I want my mind under your direction. If that will increase the helpfulness for the whole plan, and if you've completed your part perfectly, and you're the one who inspires miracles, and by the way, Jesus says, I will direct you where to bestow your miracles. Don't try to go and be an indiscriminate miracle worker, or just 
extending miracles wherever you want to. No, it doesn't work that way. I will tell you where the miracles can be bestowed. Jesus has got better than a bird's eye view. He's got a spirit eye, the spiritual eye view. He's got the Holy Spirit view of the whole thing, and that's why Jesus is in charge of the plan of atonement. He will direct everything. And when we feel this intolerable split, we go to, to the Spirit and we say, help me. We pray, help me. It's hard, very hard, after you've had mystical experiences, the, the gulf is so huge between that state of mind and what seems to be egoic consciousness. It's like vast, it's so vast. And there's like a homesickness, like, I want to go home. I want, I want to be there with you. And still, we turn to Jesus and, and say, direct me. You lead the way. You show me. We learn to be patient. We learn to just accept instructions. We learn to listen and follow. We don't doubt. We don't question. I even had a, a very amazing healer who, who could pray and people would come to visit her from distances because they would just come in her presence and she would pray and their symptoms would disappear and she was what was known as a 100% healer. Everyone who came in her presence seemed to walk away with, with removal of symptoms. But when I met with her, she she had a couple doubts where there was some guy from, I think, Oklahoma who, who said, I, I won't come to where you are but I, I trust you can do remote healing on me or whatever. And, and she said to me something like, why would the Holy Spirit tell me to ask him to come to where I am? And I said, what are you, you're questioning the Holy Spirit? Why would the Holy Spirit tell me, just listen to yourself. Why would the Holy Spirit tell me? Why are you asking why of the Holy Spirit? There, that's the problem you're experiencing, is you're asking why of the Holy Spirit. When this relationship is one of listen and follow. You listen, you follow, the healings happen. Period. That's the way it works. So, in that sense, you see that all of this, even this turmoil that you're going through, that's very difficult, is really just a call to go into what we talked about earlier, that deeper prayer life, to really, when you feel the anxiety or the pain or the fear, is turn that around to a prayer. Like, what is it that I am to see? What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say? And in my case, I went from being in hermitages in the woods and... Kentucky and Michigan and Kansas and North Dakota and other places too, getting launched by Jesus on huge travels and going, I never imagined speaking to people or going into churches and standing behind pulpits and doing all, I had, I was shy, I had no, no inkling of any of that. But as you get into the pattern of just asking and trusting and praying, 
or deeply, the answers do come. And you're given, you're given feelings and inspirations that you can follow. And it's through the following that, that it just opens you up. It opens you up more and more, deeper and deeper to the Spirit. And, and sometimes you just have to wait. I remember when I did these six-week uh, devotionals in, um, in Spain, in, on the island of Mallorca. I would do a movie gathering, or a gathering like we just did, every single night. And I would wait until dinner time. And sometimes people would come up, do you know the movie yet? And I said, oh, I'm still eating. I haven't received it yet. Sometimes I, it wouldn't come till dessert, or till I was eating my last bite of dessert. Here's the movie. And then I would tell the person, they'd get the movie on, we'd all have a great movie gathering. And it wasn't until late this afternoon that, that this, this thing came in. But, so you just have to be patient and wait upon, wait upon the Lord, you know. But be, be so willing. And there's nobody judging you. There's nobody judging you in terms of, of what those steps will be. I know for me, going off and to live in a hermitage in the woods was my mother, my father, my girlfriend just were shaking their head like, Oh God, uh, what's David up to now? Where is he going now? But it was felt. You know, it was very, it was a strong feeling. And, and in the woods there, I did face many, many fears. Yeah, just a, it was just a big start for me. So I'm with you. I'm with you in, the, in those prayers. And I'm glad you spoke it up again, just like you did on the online. <laughs> it's good to speak it up. You're not alone. Yeah, I feel like this topic of approval-seeking is really big. And it sometimes feels like a mountain, like that can't be... You know, <laughs> <is it> conquered, <laughs> transcended or something. And my mind went to an incident that happened right before the movie, where I was... It was really quick. It happened in like 10 seconds. But there was someone I was walking past, and I went to go toward them in my mind, like almost like to say hi and whatever. I hadn't seen them in a while. And very quickly, what I perceived was that they looked away and just kind of... The word that came after was, oh, I was snubbed. <laughs> and uh, someone snubbed me. And I had this feeling of hurt and like I could see like the story wanted to come out really, really fast about what just happened. And what did I do? 
Like I saw the ego was right there. I was like, what did I do? And how do I correct it? <laughs> it was like this thing in my mind. It was like I was feeling good and happy, actually. I was upbeat and up in my mind. It's like all of a sudden it was like this thought came in and boom. And uh, what I can see is this kind of shame around f- feeling dependent on others. Like, like there's that, that happens. Like I'm looking, I'm searching. And I feel that. I feel that way with you too, David. Like, I, see, I seem to still perceive you on some kind of a pedestal. Like, like you're way up there kind of thing in my mind. And, and there's this looking, like almost searching for signs that you approve of me in some way. Or almost like... Like this hesitation. Like... Don't be too free. Don't be too whatever. Because I Yeah, so it's like there's something there. There's like a real it's like like this part of me wants to be free. And not have that dependence. Like something is holding me back and it's it's out there. Like it's like there's some there's something out there, like, and it's very obvious or something. Like it's like it's getting so painful or something, and but I can't. And I know it's always to go toward. You know, we say that a lot in community. Just go toward it. You know, whatever that it, that what it is that you fear. Just you know, gently. It's usually a prompt around that, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because that does seem to relate to what I was talking earlier with about the, 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 the great lie is that the world made us and so, so these personality identities, these persons are, are standing on very shaky ground because the, they're all coming from a lie. The, the personal identity is very, very shaky. There's even one point in the Course where Jesus says, beware of the ego's shabby belief. He calls, he calls it a shabby belief. <laughs> I think that's so cute. Beware of the ego's shabby belief that neither you or anyone else is worth constant effort. You know, that it's going to take an effort for the mind training. And there is a part of our mind that goes, effort? Oh, I want this over. <laughs> and you're saying constant effort? Oh, God, constant effort. Beware of the shabby ego belief that neither you or anyone else is worth constant or consistent effort. And yet, what we're doing is we're trying to reverse the lie to, from the belief that I'm a product of the world, which is very shaky. You know, if I'm a product of the world, uh, it's all shaky, need a lot of good feedback, you know, need a lot of, prop me up, you know, tell me I'm liked, tell me I'm loved, and prop, prop, prop this mask up because it's a shaky, mask to begin with from the beginning because the ego made the mask 
And then I think I think the helpful thing is to start to remember that we're we're all in this together. We're all in this boat together. What was that movie? What was it called? Pie or something like that where there was the t the tiger in the boat. Oh my gosh. I watched that movie and I said that is so symbolic of having the ego in our mind is like having a tiger in a boat. You're in the same boat with a tiger. It's shocking uh, to be in a small boat with a tiger. You know, you fear for your life and, and yet the ego has helped us develop all these mechanisms where we've got these stories and memories. First we seem to come in this world as an infant and we're dependent completely dependent on our parents for everything. We can't feed ourselves. You know, it, it just is total. We come into this world with a memory of total dependence. And then as we move through, we may seem to develop a bit of autonomy, which is also another lie. Like we're personally capable of, of maintaining our bodies and ourselves until we get older and our... We start to lose our functions and we just become dependent again. Many times there's a story about just becoming as dependent as you were when you were an infant, when you were a newborn baby. But I think through the guidance and through the trust, you, we start to realize that we may look to others for approval to, to prop up a self-concept, but in the end how we feel is our best barometer to our progress. Not the rewards we get or not the, the compliments or the kudos and all these things of the world, but it's how we feel is really telling us how we're doing in our spiritual advancement. And I think I, just the prayer of your heart is you just want to keep expanding. You know, you want you don't want to feel like you're locked into any kind of specific role, but just keep venturing, being shown new steps by the Spirit, new ways to expand. Even a lot of our recent talks, when uh, Fernanda was here visiting from uh, Brazil, she was offering a lot of new information and new ways that could be helpful in, in expanding. Uh, it's really expanding in the mind, even though it, it can look like it involves certain things in the world. But um, that's, that's part of the commitment that we all make, is to, to keep opening and keep trusting and keep expanding. And I know for my, the parable of David, that it went from kind of hermitages in the woods to all kinds of leaps, what the world would call leaps. Oh, that's the name of your show, Leap. I was like, leap. I felt like I was leaping and then as soon as I'd leap, I'd want to rest for a moment and then it'd be like, what? <laughs> another, another leap and another leap and another leap. It was a lot of expansion of being carried in ways that I couldn't have even predicted or foreseen. But I was just willing to take the next leap and take the next leap and I think that's that's one way of, of kind of 
loosening this lie that the world has made me and that I'm dependent on the world. Most people uh, seem to succumb to that lie. I just today was, um, I saw something on Facebook and it was Steve Jobs' last words. And uh, I came across that and I read that this morning and, and he was kind of, you know, passing away with seemingly pancreatic cancer and and pondering all the wealth. You know, he was a billionaire and and he was saying things like, it doesn't matter whether you've got the, the, the $300 watch or the the $30 watch or, or the this kind of car or this kind of house. He said all the things that seemed important. Um, as he was ready to pass away, he said it's not important at all. And then he said it's the relationships that he remembered, the, the connections with family and friends and all the love that was shared through relationships. That's what's important, that's what's valuable. And it was just a, it was a, quite a long piece I was reading. Oh, he's got quite a few last words, but, but the gist of it was the things that he pursued and the things that he thought were so cool and valuable, even with the technology and the things that he was covering, and all the billions of dollars that he made and everything, he said at the very end, when you're on your deathbed, it was, it was like, that stuff, just you start to see for an instant, finally, that it doesn't matter at all. And he went through, if you watch the movies of his life, you know, losing control of his company and these clashes and competing with, uh, Steve, with Bill Gates and Microsoft and all these dramas that he went through. And then to read his last words was almost like, Emily Littell from the old Saturday Night Live show from years ago. Never mind. <laughs> drama, 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 push, 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 achieve, accomplish. You know, I'm a business expert and all this and this and then, never mind. I'd like to say, <laughs> before I go, I'd like to set the record straight. And you know, that's important because... I think a lot of the approval, of course it's coming from an, a sense of inadequacy underneath, buried in the mind, but it's, I think it's fantastic when people who seem to be hugely successful, not just kind of successful, Steve Jobs, he was ringing the bell for what the world would call success in this world. He was at the top, he was like the king of, of handling success as the world judges it, and then to say, you know, actually I, I was mistaken. Uh, that's not what's valuable. I, wanna, I want to uh, use my last words to talk about what's valuable. I think that's beautiful. I thought that was a, I loved that post. I put a little heart on it and I said, thank you, Steve. That was beautiful. That was a beautiful testimony. And, and even in spiritual community, you know, I think uh, Michael was sharing that, that that's the kind of stuff that goes on where people are still looking at, at what m gives me worth, what brings, makes me valuable, and 
you know, we have Jesus as our guide saying nothing you do or think or say or make establishes your worth. Your worth is established by God. Here he goes again. He's saying God is the creator. God establishes the worth. Nothing you do or say or think or make is necessary to establish your worth. You are perfect from the get-go and you are created by God. You have an eternal source and that's where you come from. You come from God, not from the world. And then all this programming and conditioning that the ego has given us is saying, oh, you're a product of the world. Don't be fooled. Look around. Look at the evidence. Look at all the millions and the billions around you. They're all products of the world. What makes you think you're special or different? You're just another product. And, and it's just not so. But we need to be convinced of it. We need to, it, oh, the word won't do it for us. We need the actual experience. And so I think every day that you wake up and you pray to be used, to be truly helpful, every day that convincing is happening. And, and it's very uncomfortable to feel dependent on anybody and maybe it's not so uncomfortable to feel autonomous and in control. Like the Frank Sinatra song, Got the world on a string, sitting on a rainbow, got the string around my fingers, what a world, what a life, I'm in love. You know, when we think we're in charge, we're autonomous human beings in charge of our bodies, in charge of our lives. You know, all the stuff, dream bigger dreams and all the manifesting stuff and go for it. Nothing can hold you back. You can manifest the world any way you want. Even that, it doesn't come with so much uh, discomfort until that point that Steve came to. <laughs> and then it all catches up at that point. You go, oh. Because he was saying, when you reach that point of death, you, start, you just reevaluate everything. And I did see a movie in the past year, I think it was, I forget what the name of it was, but it was based on that famous um, multi-million billionaire and, and the, the kidnapping of the grandson. Does anyone remember that one? It was out for a while. Was it, what was the guy's name? All the Money in the World. What was the name of that guy? Getty. Yeah, it was the story of Getty. And he had, he was, at the time, he was by far the richest man in the world. Very much like Steve Jobs when he passed away. He was very, very, very wealthy. Except this was the richest man in the world by far. And well, Christopher Plummer played, played that part. And he, at the end, he was, he was just afraid and lonely. And all of, all of that seeming thrill from control of being in charge of so much money and holdings, oil and gas and all the investments he had, it just ended up very dark and cold and lonely where he had followed the ego's uh, plan towards what he believed was success and, and again the, the ego left him bereft, feeling 
alone and afraid. And he was the richest you know, man in the world. I love those kind of stories. Or the Marilyn Monroe stories, you know. Famous sex appeal, married to famous husbands, ding, ding, ding. Hit all the, the charts of the top things that the ego tells you to go for. And then was suicidal at the end. Trick. It was all a trick. So we can learn from others who have really tried to follow out the ego's uh, dictates, and they've really played them out more than most of us. I think uh, I'm going to reach Marilyn Monroe status or John Paul Getty status in terms of the world. Because I, at some point, I, I thanked them. I remember thanked their souls and said, thank you for playing this out and making this so obvious for me <laughs> that that is not the direction that that my soul would go and find its its true self, its fulfillment. So thank you. Thank you for showing me this. And And I think that's in the end, we get deeper into our function and then you feel more relaxed, more confident. But it's a Christ confidence. It's not a a worldly self-confidence. It's more of a inspired confidence. And it, it just gets better and better. Maybe at times, you know, it, it's like it's, it's an attack. It like throws you off because you had an expectation and then something just gets tossed in that way. But I, I feel like we're all, we're all in the boat together. We're in, we're in the boat with the tiger. And we need to learn to be in communion uh, in that boat. Because uh, as long as we really take the tiger seriously and we uh, react and respond to the tiger, we will be very defensive. We'll try to be in survival mode. Thank you, Susan. So you mentioned how uh, our feelings are a good indication of how we're going on the spiritual path. So if you're feeling depressed and lost, does that mean you're not doing so well? Well, it, when you feel depressed and lost, then it's like that's just an indicator too of, of, a, of a belief that's still held. And the belief that's underneath the depression is the belief that you can be deprived. And, and underneath that belief in being deprived is, is still this deeper belief that I'm a product of the world. Like I need things of the world to be fulfilled. That's, that's a common belief. That's like driving, what drives the stock market? That belief. You know, what drives this search to find the, the perfect mate or to the search to find the optimal, ideal living circumstances, whatever. It's, it's the ego is driving the search. And then I think true spirituality, what it does is it just turns it around and it goes, hmm, what is it that I'm thinking? What is it that I'm feeling? And, and the prayer of the heart is, help me go deeper. Um, 
And that's what the, the course was helpful for me because I had many points of, of sadness um, in the parable of David. In fact, I would look... I would look back at high school years and go, hmm, how did you make it through? And then I would look at yearbook pictures and like eyes half closed. There was some sadness and depression going on. Like nothing of the world looked enticing. You know, when I was in high school, I was thinking, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, I don't know. I don't know that I want to grow up in this world. Like nothing attracts me. And yet, I remember reading in the Course, when you are sad, know this need not be. Depression comes from a sense of being deprived of something that you want and do not have. There it is, Master Jesus laying it out. Deprived of something that you want but do not have. He says, remember you are deprived of nothing except by your own decision and then decide otherwise. Oh, well you're going to have to help me with that last part. Almost like so simple. This need not be, decide otherwise. Yeah, well it sounds easier said than done. And, and yet he's saying, well that's why I'm giving you this course, I'm giving you the conditions in which you set up the fear. I can't take your fear away, but I can help you show you the conditions that you've set up so that you can undo that. And you must all rem also remember that if your mind is powerful enough to make a world like a cosmos like this, your mind must also be powerful enough to let it go and unmake it. You're powerful enough to make it, then you're powerful enough to unmake it. I like that. When Jesus is like, he's empowering me, he's saying, Let's get back into your mind. Let's find out what's going on. All this stuff has been pushed out of awareness by the ego. It doesn't want you to escape. It doesn't want you to remember how empowered you really are, how powerful your mind is. It's pushed it all out of awareness. But let's bring it all back. Let's unmake the, the ego. In fact, it's almost like you're in your shuttle chair ready to go with Jesus and you're waiting for command from number one, to make it so, you're in your chair and he says, prepare ye now for the undoing of what never was. Ooh, that sounds exciting. Our parents never said that. Prepare ye now for the undoing of what never was. Good. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go back to heaven. And then instructions come, you know. We meet the people we need to meet. We read the books. We, we have whatever needs to come into our lives, our relationships, everything. Once we decide that we're going to join with that power and we're going in that direction, then everything that we seem to need comes flying at us. It comes rushing to us. Because it was waiting our own desire. It was waiting our own wake-up call. Once we start to see the value of waking up, then whatever we need for the wake-up comes in. And he does say that without your effort, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Once you've accepted his plan as the one function you would fulfill, there will be nothing else the Holy Spirit will not provide for you. you know, and, and without your effort. In other words, if you make that, that decision, this is what I want, 
then everything else comes in automatically. God would not give us a goal of awakening without giving us the means. The means must be provided with the goal. We're not personally responsible for the means, but if we desire the goal, then the means will be provided. The mana from heaven. If we need money, if we need food, if we need shelter, if we need companionship, if whatever would help us to go in that huge direction, you know, the Spirit will provide. And again, for me, that, that, that took a lot of faith because I was so conditioned to have to do this and this and that so the world provides this and this in exchange for what I do. You know, that whole work. I was raised in Protestant work ethic and work hard and do this and this and then you'll get the things you need. It's more pray for what you want, what you truly want, and then everything will show up that will be truly helpful. And you won't, it, it, it does say the Holy Spirit would not have you linger in time. So, you know, if things start to fall away, it just means you don't need them anymore. That's that's the most happy interpretation. Oh, I was robbed. Oh, they stole this from me. Oh, I, I used to have this and now it's gone. Good, 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 good. You don't need it anymore. Let's just say it's gone because you don't need it anymore. It's a better interpretation than I was robbed. <laughs> you know, One leaves you feeling hurt and the other you feel, oh, okay, I don't need it anymore, so it's gone. But it's like a development of, of trust. So, uh, and part of it for me too was I was, I was sad when I was younger in high school and much of university, but... But the Holy Spirit did have me start listening to music and watching movies to start to get in touch with the sadness. If I'm sad and I'm not even fully aware of how sad I am, Jesus will say, well, I can help you get in touch with how sad you are. Not that you'll, I'll keep you there or I want you to be there, but I, but if you've been into denial and repression of even the sadness, then Jesus is so practical, he'll, he'll get you in touch with the sadness first. And that has to be okay too. I remember um, probably in my late teens and into my early 20s that I got in touch with all my sadness and then I would go home and cry in the basement for hours upon hours upon hours. And as I've said, my dog Chipper with his pink, her pink tongue would lick the tears Hours and hours, day after day, week after week. I think I've said one time, I don't know how many, this went on for many years. So I had to first get in touch with how sad I was and instead of being into so much denial and repression about the sadness. And then once I did that, then I also was, was willing to say, okay, I'm ready, I'm clearing this out now. It feels like I'm doing this for the whole world, but it's... <laughs> There's a lot of tears. And then it was like, okay, there's there's miracles, there's there's a purpose, there's a purpose that brings joy. Okay, show me that. Use me. Use me fully, you know. And then that that helped lift me out of it too. So I think those are a couple components to it, you know, is like just 
to be diagnosed or to feel you 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 just feel the sadness and depression that can be that can be just a starting point of getting in touch with it and even to see the value of that when you've been into denial and repression there's even a value to getting in touch with how do i feel and i know um yeah particularly on the spiritual journey people people value other people in their life that are also getting in touch with the feelings. You know, there's a value to exposure that I feel is, is very important on the spiritual journey. To be around people who are exposing and getting in touch with the darkness, you know, that's, that's a beautiful reflection of one's own willingness to do that. As opposed to many of us grew up in families where it was you weren't you weren't supposed to feel we'd talk about the weather talk about the sports teams talk about anything politics but don't talk about how you feel nobody was supposed to even acknowledge what was being felt oh that was not helpful on the spiritual journey to just chit chat about meaningless nothings and meanwhile you you feel heartbroken inside and that's when people develop systematic repression and denial as a defense mechanism to cope with the, the hurt and the heartbreak. And so now we're, we're undoing that. We're saying, no, I'm not going to stay in that systematic denial anymore. Like the, the Diana Ross song, I'm coming out, I want the world to know. You know, yes, I'm emotionally coming out. Maybe it's sad. Okay, that's that's. I mean, I'm bringing my sadness out, you know, and, and that's okay too. It's nothing. It's not a a, a black mark. It's a, it's a matter of it's just a step in the healing. I feel like a, a lot lately I'm just experiencing a, a roller coaster more so than usual and um, I feel like it has to do a lot with I mean, everything you've been saying actually has been addressing it, and that all feels really good, and I just feel like I need to expose it for myself. Uh, because there's there's shame around the inconsistency in the way that I feel, and the amount of resistance that comes up, and uh, a lot of it seems to come up just in relationship. Um, like, it seems like I pop through, and there's a great deal of joy, and and like an ease and a flow, and then it's like one tiny little stupid thing, seemingly, and I'm just back into the victimhood. It, like, it comes so strong. It's like, it feels like it just takes over, and it takes over for much longer than I'd like it to, of course. But, um... <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's part of what I wanted to expose is just like how much resistance there is to right-mindedness lately, actually. It's terrible. Like In my mind, it feels so wrong. And uh, I feel like I get these reflections from some of my mighty companions that are like, no, this is totally normal. Just keep going, keep going. And in my mind, I still, there's doubt. Like, this is, there's got to be something wrong. Like, why, why aren't I moving through these things faster? Or, yeah, so there's that. And I, I feel like I've also been experiencing the flip side of it where getting in touch with why the contractions are there. Not all the time, but I'll experience like just how much um, codependency there is, and <laughs> and um, like take some time. Like it feels like a suction cup. Like I actually have to remove myself. It feels like such a turnaround in my mind. Like, no, I need some prayer time tonight. I can't just like be in the same rut in my mind. And then I'll wake up and I'll feel so happy, which is in stark contrast to this feeling of, like, I can't do this again. Like, another day I'm waking up and, like, it's there's terrible shame around that. I live in community. Why am I waking up feeling like it's another day, you know, the daily thing? You know, like, it, oh, my God, I don't want anybody to know that. And it, it seems like I get <laughs> much clearer when I follow what's given like when I'm brave enough to look at the ways that I'm compromising and then (laughs) I'm really glad I'm saying all this by the way Uh, (laughs) sticking with like what actually is guided which seems to be I don't know it's, it's just huge in my mind it feels like this dark cloud which very very rarely I'm I'm able to lift off with the help of the Holy Spirit because I want it to be lifted off but yeah there's something about desire like I'm finding it so hard to be right minded lately but when I am it's like it's amazing like I don't I don't know how to describe it when everything's feeling right it's like oh why am I worried about these things of course because it's right mindedness and then when it's wrong it's like oh man it's wrong so it brings such doubt and unworthiness and it feels like to step forward into the right-mindedness is like suicidal in a way and that's what it is to the ego but I just needed to expose that and if you've got any insight into that yeah yeah it's just what from what you're saying to there's nothing nothing more precious than and guidance, you know, getting in touch with it first, and then being willing to follow it. <laughs> Those are the the two things: to get in touch with it, and then to follow it. That you get a feeling like, whoa, that is so joyful. It, 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 there's a sense of easiness to it, almost like this is complex world with all these seeming problems and issues and things jumping up and torpedoing you left and right, and then you have these flashes. Of, of authentic guidance, and you go ah, like a deep breath, like wow, and and the contrast again there is important. So it's almost instead of beating yourself up about the the falling away and the feelings and why do I feel this way and why does it take so long, the ego will try to. It's so afraid of the guidance it will try to to have you focus on. 
the doubt, focus on the negative, and and by doing that, it's trying to protect itself. Because if you start to have these flashes of guidance, or even just allowing yourself to feel how easy everything is with the guidance, then that's that's like taking the that's the underpinnings of the ego getting wiped out. You know, because if if you start to follow the guidance of the spirit, you're not going to need the ego. And if you don't need the ego, then its days are numbered. You won't you won't turn to it. So it's this is quite common where you have these loving experiences, these heart opening experiences, the ego comes rushing in with all of its dark doomsday self judgment, self criticism, you know, it's it's almost like you've taken some strides up the mountain and it's like, whoa, 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 not so fast. Throw some avalanches, you know. Let don't you're getting you're getting a little too close there when you have these these glimpses of guidance, and it wants to throw you back. Many people have told me, you know, um, that following the Holy Spirit, it seems to them like two steps forward, three steps back, like whoa, like they're knocked back, and, and then they have to recover, but. Actually, you know, you're on the cusp of building true confidence in the Spirit. And that's something to be celebrated. And to even expose these doubt thoughts and expose these feelings, it starts to take the pressure off of like, oh, I'm not just dealing with this all by myself. I'm exposing this. This is what I'm going through. You know, we've been through, that's the value of expression sessions, you know, it takes the pressure off of of even comparing or even um, trying to measure yourself in some kind of artificial, egoic way. So, it does feel valuable and, and with community, with relationship, obviously there's a lot of mirroring and a lot, it's a fast track, but I think that's the the, the true forgiveness is being able to join into the appreciation and joy of those miracles and to just quicker and quicker just let go of all the rest. I love it while Jesus says, you know, the past is gone. Only the loveliness has been saved for you. Out of all these thoughts, only the loveliness has been saved. My mind is ascending into this loveliness. My mind is ascending into this life and joy and happiness and and everything else is fading and will continue to fade and fade away. And that's important for you to share that and also to, to be able to celebrate those moments when it feels so easy. Because that, that's building your trust. That's building your trust. And this is, I mean, the spiritual journey and even living in community and relationships and everything, it's not like the world at all. It has no relationship. The world's always about achieve, accomplish, sell, sell, sell. I love how the salesmen go, okay, people, sell, sell, sell today. You know, it's like, <laughs> go out you don't have to sell we don't we don't have a product we're not here to produce something neither are we a product of the world but we aren't here to produce something 
for the world to generate our value. Our happiness is our value. Our, ha our joy is our value. Our state of mind is our value. I saw somebody who I haven't interacted with for the longest time on, on Skype. I sent, a, sent her a Skype message and I said, Oh, I just love your state of mind. And she just typed back, That made my day. Just an acknowledgement of state, I love your state of mind. And that made my day. That's what it's all about. We can, we can cast our cares and worries aside, you know. You know, you can cast your cares, your worries, your burdens on Him, for He careth for you. You know, it, the, the Holy Spirit loves when you cast burdens and cares on Him, because He knows they're not real. <laughs> so, so, it's more of like a giving it up, you know, saying, uh, take this from me. So, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Beautiful. We need some Spanish translation up here. Hola. <laughs> uh, necesito liberar I, algo que, que me está pesando bastante. I need to express something that is very heavy on my heart. Y fue algo que, que surgió esta tarde. It's something that rise this afternoon. Eh, cuando llegó Svava. When Svava came in. Y la vi. She looks at her. Surgió una creencia de amenaza. She felt like this, this uh, feeling of a threat. Una creencia de sentirme menos. A belief of threat, a belief that of feeling less. Como entrar en una competencia. In and kind of entering in some kind of competition. Porque la vi tan bonita. Because she saw her as being so beautiful. Entonces eh, salió esa creencia como de competencia, como que es más linda que yo. And, and then came those thoughts of competition that she is more than me, she is more beautiful than me. Y, y ahorita observando eso veo que eso me ha pesado mucho en, 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 en muchas experiencias. And she is just aware that that kind of thing uh, happened in a lot of different experiences, the same feelings. Esa creencia de, 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 de estar como en, como en competencia, de, de haber una amenaza cuando hay mujeres más bonitas, entonces trato o trato de, de, de verme bien, de estar como, como buscando esa aprobación, como buscando en, 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 en la parte física. Yeah, when there's like some kind of other pretty women around, there's like this pressure of behaving in a certain way and like uh, starting to search for some kind of approbation and validation external. Entonces quiero poder liberar, entregar esa creencia que, que el Espíritu Santo me ayuda a ver esto de otra manera, she de really, ver más allá de lo falso, de ver más allá de, de lo irreal, porque no quiero sentir más eso, quiero soltar eso. Solo quiero la paz de Dios. I really, really want to expose all of this and I want to give 
all of it to the Holy Spirit because I don't want to keep none. I just really want the peace of God and I don't want to be entertaining those type of thoughts and patterns in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for exposing that. Because there, again, it goes back to some deep sense of unworthiness where there's a belief somehow that that we need to be a certain way or look a certain way to be in that love. And then all kinds of ego, crazy ego thoughts come out of that. Uh, comparisons, competitions, um, it just doesn't feel good in our hearts to have that activity. Uh, I remember one year, maybe about uh, 15 years ago, when I went to Colombia and the country where you've come from, and there was a, a, a TV announcer um, who wanted to spend the day with me, and we we flew across to the ocean, and we spent the whole day passing out candy to people, and we had a glorious day. But she talked about the pressure in her mind she felt for maintaining a sense of a physical beauty, that her job as a TV announcer depended on her body looking a certain way. And she had many tears because she'd gone through plastic surgery and they were wanting, her bosses who owned the company were wanting more surgeries, almost like trying to sculpt her body a certain way so she could keep her job. And if she didn't, they would hire somebody else. It was a pressure in her mind. And so we spent the whole day just coming back into the joy of the moment. And this is where all of us can realize we, we have to follow the Spirit without compromise. Because if we listen to the ego, it's, it's going to tell us that we have to have certain skills or we have to be beautiful or we, we have to prove our worth in some way. And it sends us on this crazy worldly journey to try to be enough uh, to reach that point of being worthy. And uh, the Holy Spirit is, is just saying, no, no, please come inside, come to me. Don't don't let the ego take you in that direction. And, and so that's, just exposing those thoughts is so important, just like Kristen was just doing, just exposing whatever the thoughts are, because these are just temptations that the ego's trying to use to keep you down, to keep, keep your consciousness down, instead of letting it rise higher and higher. And we all are in this boat together to to serve God and to stay in the prayer every day. What, what would be the most helpful thing I can do for everybody, for the whole universe? 
And when we stay in that prayer, it's a new prayer for us. We're not used to thinking in that way. But it's so beautiful when we allow ourselves to think that way and to just follow what's the joy in our heart. And yeah, you're just so beautiful just as you are. You, you don't need to listen to that voice that's, that's saying something needs to be different. It's just accepting it, accepting all that love. Yeah. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Jason told me about the, the topics that were coming up and what the movie was. And so I went over there and we were talking about the movie and I actually had this prayer of, like, showing me deeper where, like, this approval was in my mind and we got into some inspirations that I shared with him and we started talking and this... This thing came up with Susanna's uh, father was asking to to come to Mexico possibly, and and she felt good about it, and I was like just sharing the thoughts, and my parents had asked to come down here, and you know the first thing was they won't like it here, you know like, but it was really I didn't want them to come, and today when I was talking to Jason about it, it was like. We were talking about just even the inspirations around going up to Camus and like the studio and even the superstructure that we're building. And, and I realized that it's, you know, the reason I don't want my father to come here is because I, yeah, I don't think he'll approve of my home, like what I'm doing here. And it's like, as much as I want to say that it doesn't matter, like it's still so deep that it matters what my father thinks of me. And I was like, and I thought, like, I was sharing with him, like, oh, but if we went up there and I had a studio and he saw this superstructure, then I could have him come stay in Park City and then he would be proud of what I'm doing or something. And it was like, and I just noticed how deep that belief that, like, yeah, the approval of my father still is. Like, I want to say it's not, but it's still there so deeply. And it's like, I just want to, yeah, share that with everyone so I can let it go, you know. And even the belief that he doesn't approve of me because... You know, I'm not, that's not true either, really, but, you know, there's so many paths. Learning with, like, following God wouldn't impress him or something. And Yeah, I guess I just wanted to expose that, too, and let go of that desire for approval. The one person I've searched for my whole life, like... Yeah, so I guess that's it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, that reminds me of that movie that we saw down in Aihihik, uh where the the son was just wanting that approval, and even though many of us did not go come through places where we were physically abused, we could still feel an attitude of, you know, make me proud, and that is so deeply ingrained, you know. 
the idea of make your parents proud. You know, it's it's such a strong, ingrained belief. And then underneath it is this idea still that I'm a product of the world, and I want to please that which made me, even though the whole thing is upside down and has to be washed out through many, many miracles. It's going to take a, a devotion, a lifetime of, of miracles to wash that, but it does help to speak it, because then you can start to see, oh, I, I'm trying to think of things I can do to get his attention or the ideal places, or oh, if he sees me doing this or doing that, you know, it's good to be aware of those thoughts and those mechanisms. And just by sharing it, it's you start to gain a little bit of distance and awareness from those. You can see the game that's going on, and because it doesn't help just to say the words or to read read the words, you know, it, it actually is the prayer of the heart is like, take me through this, you know, show me my own value. And um, very much like what Kristen was talking about, when, when those defense mechanisms and those things come up, it can, there's still a bit of like ownership of those things, those patterns. And that's where the heaviness comes in. But that's the first step in letting them go is is being aware. So I know that movie we saw down and Ihihik was a big one too. It's we we're getting some great tools being sent in to help us move through this. That's huge. Yeah, I had uh, some healing the following morning. I knew it affected me pretty deeply, and I think I shared a bit with you. But yeah, it was that scene with the father after he was had cancer, and he was like trying to make amends to the son, and it was like, yeah, it was really really yeah. deep. So. Yeah. yeah thanks. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Well, that seems like a beautiful healing night. The wind is swirling around us outside, <laughs> blowing, washing our minds, yeah. It's an honor to, yeah, join together in this holy purpose and let the Spirit's presence come among us and just raise, raise up whatever we need to raise up and give it over, yeah. It's beautiful. Well, thank you all for coming. I thought it would be a beautiful session tonight with this, with a brief <laughs> uh, interlude there with our movie. And yeah, thank you all for sharing your heart so deeply and so honestly. And yeah, I feel like our prayer is for the whole universe that we're all praying so deeply for the healing and. It's happening. It's happening. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.